Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Blue Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Admiral Tim Gallaudet. I'm the CEO of Ocean STL Consulting and the former Deputy Administrator of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, as well as the former Assistant Secretary of Commerce for Oceans and Atmosphere, and before that, the Oceanographer of the Navy. We're a monthly offering by the American Shoreline Podcast Network and brought to you by Coastal News Today. The American Blue Economy podcast brings together leading voices in the ocean, coastal, and Great Lakes-based economies to expand awareness and collaboration, identify positive solutions to address the many challenges to the ocean economy, such as conflicting uses and climate change, and provide thought leadership to support our post-pandemic national recovery. In today's episode, we're going to discuss Blue Economy Workforce Development, and this dovetails really nicely with our January episode on Blue STEM Education and Outreach, where we discussed efforts to develop the next generation of Blue Tech professionals to support our thriving ocean economy. And we couldn't have three better guests for this topic than those that I'm about to introduce. So first off, we have Dr. Shannon Campbell. She is a Senior Associate Vice President for Coastal Operations at the University of Southern Mississippi in Long Beach, Mississippi. Shannon, it's an honor to have you here. Thank you so much. I look forward to the conversation. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Wonderful, indeed. And next up, we also have Tamara Kahn. She is the host of the Wavemakers podcast and the principal at Lady Blue Tech Consulting, in addition to many other titles and experiences, which I can't wait to talk about. Tamara, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Tim. Honored to be invited to participate. You bet. And I know I may have to correct myself. It's Tamara. And I know we had this discussion on an earlier uh, call and I'll work to get that right. No problem. Because I know another Tamara. <laughs> I have to have to fix that. Okay. We also have Judith Underwood, who is the CEO and co-founder of Blue Institute Labs in New Bedford, Massachusetts. Judith, thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting me, Admiral, and I'm very excited to speak with this distinguished panel. Well, all righty. Let's just get to it here. So first off, I want to start with Shannon, who has a very senior position at the University of Southern Mississippi, and the fact that she was my neighbor, basically. I lived on the Gulf Coast, and, and we had met previously, and we both were working actively to promote the blue economy on the Gulf Coast. So Shannon, could you talk a little bit about your position, what it involves and your responsibilities and how that might relate to the blue economy on the coast? Yes, so I serve as the Senior Associate Vice President for Coastal Operations for the University of Southern Mississippi. So my role is to be the Chief Spokesperson for the University and the Chief Strategist for implementing the University's overall vision and mission for the Gulf Coast. So that vision statement that we um, are true to and working toward on a regular basis is to be a national leader in addressing issues that are relevant to people living in coastal and maritime settings. So the conversation that we have here today is very true to the vision and the core mission that we operate along the Gulf Coast. Well, that's fantastic. I'm very aware of all of those, and I I can't wait to dig into them. But um, that was a really perfect overview um, just to start off with. Uh, Let me go now to um, Tamara Khan. And uh, you have so many interesting things to talk about. But why don't you just talk about your podcast initially, Wavemakers. I love the title. Um, What can you tell us? Thank you. Thank you so much, Tim, for the opportunity. I'm I'm very excited about the blue economy, in particular the tech side. So as you know, it's kind of a small world, this blue economy world. And um, I've worked with a lot of people who have been involved in it for a long time and knowledgeable and passionate, just like you guys on this panel. And um, I found that kind of outside that bubble, people don't really necessarily know what's going on as far as the cool tech that's been developed or even already utilized. So especially the young people who make up the workforce of tomorrow. So Wavemakers was in part inspired by your podcast and in, is my way of sharing the stories of those people who are really deep into working on technology solutions for our ocean and water resources. I get to, to speak with innovators and experts in, at blue tech companies and learn about them and how they got there, started their businesses, what they need to succeed. So I'm super excited to get to tell their stories. That's neat. I am actually a consultant for companies just like those. So we have much to 
share, which is neat. And I love your title, you know, the maker type of moniker is uh, with wave in front of it is just so perfect and appropriate. Um, Well, good. Now, Judith, uh, I've worked with you for a little bit too. And tell us about the Blue Institute Labs and, and what you hope to accomplish with that wonderful endeavor. Thank you. Um, So the Blue Institute Labs, we're a public benefit corporation, and we are focused on innovation, entrepreneurship, and business development in the blue economy. Uh, We have our Blue Incubator, which works with right now about 18 uh, blue tech, climate tech, and blue economy startups. And um, we're running this virtually right now as we slowly come out of COVID. And we have... uh, companies that represent nine, nine states in the U.S., eight countries internationally, and it, we meet twice a month. We have advisors and uh, specialists like yourself that come in and, and speak with these young companies, and um, we give them opportunities for teaming to work with area universities to help them set up pilots and prototypes and give them um, exposure also to the investment sector, which is critically important, as you know. So it's, um, and the other part right now is we're coming out of COVID. We are uh, working on our Blue Innovation Center, which will be a waterfront offering uh, where the startups will have a home, as well as government agencies. We have um, established businesses that would also come and use our facility. And most importantly, is the area universities um, so that their students will be able to interact with our startups, which I think is a huge piece of the workforce development going forward. Indeed, I I know that. Now, I enjoyed meeting with some of your companies a few months back, and um, I don't recall if you could help me out. Do any of them uh, work in with um, uncrewed or autonomous systems? Yes. we have one called Black Sail, mm. and they work with security on systems to stop things like what happened in the Suez Canal with the backup of the ships. Uh, we also have a company that's still in formation. It's called uh, the USV Company, and they are looking at uh, uncre- uncrewed offshore um, systems that will move cargo from ships that are out of the harbor to shore, kind of relieving that traffic jam that we see out there. Yeah, I know, very important need there, especially when you hear all the news about the supply chain backlogs. And I think autonomy is, and I was part of this, and I chaired the coordinating board for the Committee of the Marine Transportation System, uh, led by the Department of Transportation. To uh, we, 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 were, we developed a, um, we were involved with a study on autonomous shipping, and that's it's really moving out. I bring that up because, of course, Shannon, uh, you know that on the Gulf Coast, I, um, along with partners like NOAA and some companies, worked pretty diligently in this uncrewed space to grow capability. And uh, one of them at the University of Southern Mississippi was their Uncrewed Maritime Systems Certificate Program, the first of its kind. And I spoke at the kind of the opening of the first class. And I'm actually writing an op-ed on Navy uncrewed surface vessels today. It should be released this week. And I talk about that, that effort. But along with it is the um, Thad Cochran, or no, no, the Roger Wicker Center for Ocean Enterprise, uh, which is working to build uncrewed systems on the coast. Uh, what can you share about that with us, Shannon? There's a whole lot going on there. And you know from having spent time on the Mississippi Gulf Coast that um, the need is definitely there for for our federal partners in a number of different ways, as well as private sector companies that are operating along the Gulf Coast and in the Gulf of Mexico. So uh, there's a lot of work that's been um, underway, including the workforce training piece of that, which you mentioned is in the area of the certificate programs that we customize based on the needs of uh, uncrewed maritime systems training. But related to the Roger F. Wicker Center, that is the uh, Ocean Enterprise building that is currently under construction. So it is the third building that the university will be operating uh, in Gulfport, Mississippi, in partnership with the Port of Gulfport. So we have the Marine Research Center that was constructed and opened in 2018. That was a direct response to the need for the ability to be able to rapidly 
test and prototype and modify different types of sensors and um, gliders and things that were being tested and used in the Gulf of Mexico. And so we have this now waterfront property that is a, a prototyping type facility with the Marine Research Center. And then we also realized that there was a need for additional space of its type. And so now the Roger F. Wicker building itself will be three times the size of the original Marine Research Center. They'll be co-located next door to each other on the port property, but it gives our federal partners like NOAA um, a, a location for their research vessels coming into and out of the Gulf now to have a home port uh, in a new way that's never been an opportunity like this before. And the university will have a presence in that facility as well as other federal partners and private sector industry partners that will um, have opportunity once it's opened up somewhere in late 2023 to 24 timeframe. So it'll be a uh, 62,000 square foot, three-story facility that'll open right on port property with waterfront access. So we are really excited about where that has taken us and appreciate the forethought of leaders like you and others along the coast uh, to help make things like that happen. Well, wonderful. It was a loaded question, Shannon, because yes, I was with Senator Wicker when we broke ground for that. And, and there was a lot of lead up beforehand and there was legislation that we helped him with and was passed of uh, the C-Note Act on commercial engagement of um, ocean technology. Uh, and so that's a, a key act that we implemented with the Navy to get these autonomous systems and capabilities, blue tech, growing on the Gulf. And what I think is really a standout attribute of, of the work there is that this hand in glove partnership between federal uh, private sector and the university, as this is workforce training uh, for blue tech and the blue economy, that's just the perfect marriage right there and a great example. What I like about this episode is the sort of the regional focus of we, Shannon's in the Gulf, and now we have in the New England area uh, is uh, Judith. And I have to ask you about the companies you're promoting with your incubate, Blue Incubator and Blue Accelerator. Uh, are they all based in New England? No, actually, they're not. Actually, very few of them are. We um, In New England, we have uh, Ocean State Sensing, which actually comes out of Rhode Island, and they've taken a, a technology that was actually developed within the Navy um, and adapted it for uh, scientific and commercial use. Um, and that's to measure the health of the ocean. It, it's a, a drag system that works. And um, they're off to a very good start. And um, then we have also in New England, we um, have the artificial intelligence company. They're not surprisingly coming out of the Boston area. That's the black sale. We um, have some scientific companies that look at different solutions and, and creating different problems to them. They have a, a pipe, for example, that uh, folds in on itself, and then um, it can be sent to wherever there's an emergency situation, and this is also underwater as well. And uh, it, when you open it up, it hardens in about 15 minutes. Um, and then we have an aquaculture company from Ireland no. Um, from South Carolina, we have a turbine company that's uh, uh, creating energy through through wave and tidal power, and that's actually being tested right now down in Southern Florida University, as well as out in Texas, and uh, the Teamers program. The Department of Energy is funding that. Uh, let's see. We have a company out of Sweden, the one that is looking at um, the similar to sail drone, except that they're looking at commercial applications for that. Um, we also have uh, companies from Thailand that's looking at um, taking uh, dirty water and uh, taking the nutrients out of the dirty water, helping shrimp farmers, and then taking those nutrients, feeding them to black flies and creating different products out of that. Wow, you're all over the place and it's great. It is. And the really fascinating thing about this, Admiral, is 
the conversations that these companies are having with each other, they we actually have about six different pro- projects that have grown out between teaming opportunities between them and with different speakers that have come in to speak with them. Oh, you should be proud, Judith, because as I... Proud of them, proud of them. They're, they're working really hard. Well, I'm proud of you for being a convener and connector because that's some of the most important work. And I, I saw that firsthand and I, I'm, I'm working in the same kind of capacity as in my consulting business where I have a few companies that one's a Ixblue making uh, uncrewed surface vessels and one's a commercial weather company called Tomorrow IO and another's a buoy company called Sofar. And you mentioned aquaculture and this is something I'm pretty passionate about because uh, just, you look at the amount of seafood that U.S. Um, consumes, 90% of it is imported, and half of that is grown in a foreign aquaculture facility. So, th- And we, we've just only started to begin um, the process of permitting aquaculture sites in federal waters. And, and a lot of that stemmed from work we did at NOAA last four years that culminated in a presidential executive order on seafood competitiveness. And, uh, and so I know a big part of that was influenced by what's going on at the University of Southern Mississippi, Shannon. Um, you know, I've met with Kelly Lucas uh, several times and visited her um, Thad Cochran Aquaculture Center. Uh, anything you want to share about that center and how it relates and, and what you're doing maybe to help grow aquaculture specialists in, in that workforce? Yeah, I would love to share more about that. That Thad Cochran Marine Aquaculture Center was built originally around 2006, and it was a substantial investment at that time. Started out with about 13 buildings in all, about a $60 million project that was both state and federal funding. And the intention of it was to be a precision aquaculture center, research and development center uh, in the Gulf of Mexico. And you all have been talking about different companies that you're partnering with or providing services for. And that's exactly one of the features that is really nice about the amenities of this complex is that we can work with small, medium and large uh, scale businesses to do a lot of different types of um, problem solving, uh, help them validate new technologies or, or new types of Um, devices that are being used in precision aquaculture. And so it's become a real go-to source for a lot of private sector companies seeking the expertise of the researchers that are there. We believe that it's a a very important uh, contribution and a mission to the Gulf of Mexico and beyond for making sure that we maintain um, a safe food supply uh, along the way. Absolutely. And we want that work and activity to be in U.S. waters. So uh, thank you for your leadership and, and Kelly Lucas, uh, what she's done done there. Um, really proud of that as, as well. And it's fascinating science, by the way, and making a plug here, I'm going to the World Aquaculture Society's annual conference in San Diego next week uh, to look at the state of the industry and potentially gain some partners for another one of my clients, Linker Technologies, who's NOAA's number one contractor and uh, that's just a great growth area we're pretty excited for. Um, so thank you, Shannon. Um, I know, uh, Tamara, that in San Diego, the Port of San Diego, they started an aquaculture um, kind of effort. And I don't know at the TMA Blue Tech if you were involved with that. Do you know anything about it? Um, I do a little bit there. TMA did try and do some work with the Port of San Diego, which uh, has definitely been making strides in blue economy. They started an incubator and were helping companies working in everything from like small scale cleanup of the ports and uh, similar efforts with aquaculture, um, collecting, you know, finding innovative ways to provide nutrients for the aquaculture uh, groups around San Diego and and just facilitating their their growth, whether it be through connections with policymakers or education, they they're doing a great job there with their it's a it's the aquaculture and blue technology program. Oh wow, that's great! I love. I was involved with uh, that kind of work through NOAA's Sea Grant program, and uh, almost I think I've been preparing for this conference next week, and. Nearly, if not every Sea Grant program, so they're through the states, grants to the states from NOAA, the federal, 
agency and uh, a lot of I think every one of them are working in some capacity to grow aquaculture whether it be you know and it's usually the regional sort of flavor if you will where you know in Alaska there's such a robust commercial fishing industry that they view they they view finfish aquaculture as competition but they're very excited about mariculture and seaweed for example so that that's an effort that's going off on on in Alaska Sea Grant and, and, you know, so on and so forth. Virginia Sea Grant's promoting oysters in the Chesapeake Bay and uh, a lot of really just great work there. We could probably, you know what, we will spend a whole episode on that in the future. I think we should. Well, gosh, in, on the topic of ports, uh, where a lot of great blue economy activity is occurring, um, I'm, Judith, I'm going to ask a cold question here. Do you have anybody who's working with ports in any way? Uh, we are, <laughs> as a whole. The AI company is doing some things in the, the Boston port area, and um, we uh, have a few companies that would like pilots. Um, I'd love to to speak with both Shannon and Tamara afterwards about that. And uh, we've got some connections going at the port in San Diego about some opportunities to do piloting down there. Wow. Well, you just mentioned something that is my favorite, favorite aspect of this podcast. And that's every time I've had one, I've made these connections occur between the guests that I never even anticipated. So if you do any following up with Tamara or Shannon, I think that's just great. Uh, keep me posted. Let me know how I can help. I had a, um, several of these episodes. The last one, the Workforce STEM, uh, that happened in a really beautiful way. Um, and uh, on this topic of ports, let me go back to Shannon, uh, Shannon Campbell, University of Southern Mississippi. Uh, I, I was there and visited the port before, again, the groundbreaking for the Roger Wicker Center. And, uh, you know, and I, I'll even go farther back. <laughs> I was living down there uh, in Diamond Head, Mississippi, when Hurricane Katrina hit. And, you know, in addition to the major damage of the port of Gulfport, I mean, just totally basically wiped off the map. Um, I lost my house, which was also wiped off the map. Um, and we've recovered from it just fine, but we saw the destruction. And so for me personally, the rebuilding and rejuvenation um, of the Gulf Coast a afterwards has been just a great success story. And tell me about the port and what it's gone through, Gulfport, and what its, you know, the, its aspirations are going forward. Yeah, so if you had a, if you had a, if, when, if you were around then, you definitely saw a lot of change happening in a very short amount of time. You know, we took that opportunity as a state to step up and make sure that when we rebuilt, that we rebuilt the Gulf Coast to be more resilient and to be able to uh, recover very quickly after storms like that. And and we've done that. We've demonstrated that time and time again. Um, Hurricane Katrina taught us a lot about resiliency and the infrastructure is much more robust. Um, the port itself is an amazing facility. It is just unusually robust and well-built now to withstand those types of storms and, and natural disasters. What we are very encouraged about in the new partnership that we have, so it's a, the port is a state-owned property um, managed by commission. And when we opened up our operations there, we had previously not had um, direct like research and development type work and direct workforce development work like we do now. It has really grown um, just by being in close proximity to one another and our leadership teams working day in and day out. And it's opened up new conversations like um, what does it mean to have a a port that's a smart port that is um, very responsive to the changing needs of industry and the supply chain challenges and and the national security challenges that we could be working on jointly by being located, co-located together. And so the research and development side of the conversations that were not happening previously are now integrated into the overall partnership. And so that's new opportunities that um, we didn't have before that are, are really paying off now and uh, interesting work that's going on there between the way ports operate and the types of um, research and development and education and training programs that we offer. Well, tell us about some of those, please. What kind of uh, training and workforce development uh, programs do you have? 
Yeah, so um, along the, the lines that we were talking about earlier, the uncrewed maritime systems, for example, that's a certificate program that we developed as a quick response. Uh, we've got two different tiers of that certificate program now. The, the actual training occurs at the port itself, so when individuals go through that training, then they actually go do their, their field work out in the, the Bay Area of the port. And so um, that's just, a, you know, some examples of being responsive there and making sure that we utilize those physical assets that we now have access to that we did not have before. So um, the uncrewed maritime systems, uh, tier one and tier two, short-term intensive, responsive to the needs of both our federal partners in business and industry. Um, ocean engineering is another new program. We just graduated out in May of last year our first cohort of ocean engineering students. And those are students that come uh, out with a, a wide variety of, um, of different skills that cross over into things that are important for ports and beyond. Um, a little bit of background in mechanical engineering, civil engineering, electrical, it's a crossover uh, multidisciplinary type of field. And so that has been very popular. It's in very high demand. We could. Um, always use more and more people going into that and turning those students out with amazing skills that that they're getting snatched up very quickly into employment. And, and for us, we've spent a lot of time studying and understanding this industry classification of um, the STEM, the next code that we refer to as next code of 54, which that classification is based on professional, scientific, technical, engineering, math, um, accounting, business management types of occupations that all require bachelor's degree or beyond, and most of which are all in very high demand. And so that for us has been a very targeted area for us to focus on in terms of workforce development for future employment for our students in the blue economy sector. So Shannon, this is great. You mentioned something that our audience ought to know about in terms of workforce development, being preparing people to enter the blue tech workforce, blue economy workforce, and that is a, a NAICS code. Could you very briefly explain what that is? Yes. So um, all of our industry sectors in the United States is classified in terms of a North American industry classification system code. And it allows us to quantify across the economy the extent to which those industries exist in terms of size of employment, in terms of overall um, economic impact that they have on the country. And so you can study those subsectors um, across in the blue economy, across different sectors like tourism or manufacturing. And for us, this, this particular classification of 54 is the one that really homes in on those higher level skill sets that are in high demand that we need um, going into employment after they graduate with their, their degrees and beyond. So um, yeah, so that's a little bit about that NAICS code. Well, I applaud you on that. You, you, your institution has looked at the need in industry and, and the economic impacts and you've targeted your curriculum program to meet the need. That, and that's just brilliant and wonderful to hear. Um, now, kind of, I want to go back. This has been a topic of a lot of our discussion has been the, the blue tech companies, that the work, the, the workforce that we're talking about. And I'd like to go to Tamara and your, your other job, uh, besides the podcast host, which is usually what most people care about, is your principal, your consultant for Lady Blue Tech. Tell us about your consultant business and what startups or companies you consult for or have. Sure, Tim. Uh, well, it kind of all started pretty organically, seeing as I'd been working in California with TMA Blue Tech and a lot of companies in Blue Tech, um, and just found lots of ways that I could continue to help these companies, like looking at detecting invasive species in our waterways and lakes, or um, ocean tech companies that are trying to improve sailing technology and most recently a company out of Norway that has for years made composites for home building, but they have this unique manufacturing process um, to make some very resilient materials that will work very well in even harsh conditions of the ocean. So they could be really helpful in offshore renewables and aquaculture and 
marine mining, mineral mining and defense infrastructure, you name it. So I think um, I've been lucky enough to connect with some companies that didn't even realize that they could be blue tech companies. Wow, that's a great storyline. I like that a lot. Um, did you meet these clients of yours through the TMA blue tech effort or, or are there new ones that have come along? Some of them, some of them actually come through connections from my, you know, in a past life, I worked as a geophysicist um, offshore for the oil industry and just had a pretty amazing time traveling uh, for 10 years or so on a sh working on a ship and going all over the world. So I, I, there was a point at which I was sitting there uh, off the coast of Africa, way away from the coast of Africa, and there was this packet, an empty chips packet that floated by my porthole. And I just was thinking, how did that get out here? And what is going on? So I, I, it sort of inspired me to look and take my career in a slightly different direction and look into climate science. And that's how I ended up at Scripps. I don't know if you want to go into that. <laughs> well, actually, I want to go into all of this. Yours at sea, and, and, and marine plastics and climate. And that's very interesting. But let me pause on that because I really loved hearing about your consultancy. And uh, if I were a uh, business who wanted to benefit from your expertise, how would I reach you? Well, I'm on Instagram <laughs> at Lady Blue Tech. And I also feel free to, to email me. It's Tamara at LadyBlueTech.com. So. Very good. All right. I'm, I'm looking forward to following up with you and seeing how we can work more together. Uh, but uh, let me go on to Judith Underwood of Blue Institute Labs. And, and you're well along in this uh, area of convening and consulting and advancing Blue Tech and through your Blue Institute. Um, one of the things that I um, admired in learning about you, Judith, is um, mentoring is important to you. And uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, what you've done, what your kind of philosophy is and where you're going with mentoring in this blue tech workforce. For me, I think mentoring is absolutely core, uh, not only to creating uh, a strong company that survives, but also to creating this ecosystem. Um, so within our Blue Institute, we have an accelerator for uh, startups in the blue tech uh, space. And um, we have amazing mentors. The majority of them have not mentored before, but they're scientists, they're engineers, there's practitioners in the field, as, as well as business executives and uh, a number of academics that teach uh, entrepreneurship. Um, and this, the mentors are not allowed to create any kind of uh, business relationship with the startups until six months after the program is finished. And that's so that uh, they are fully focused on those startups. Um, and I've been mentoring uh, my entire career I, I, for all different uh, aspects. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's building the companies and building the ecosystem and mentoring um, and, and sharing that wealth of knowledge is really important. And then it's really important um, to connect these young startups with people like yourself, Admirable, and Tamara, because um, consultants and the, and the work that you folks do is amazing. Like it takes what we do in the incubator and puts it on steroids, so to speak. And I also want to give a shout out to Shannon and the work that they do down in the Gulf, because some of that has actually connected back with the seaweed company from Ireland. They're working with the Mana Fish Farms, oh, yeah. which is, um, yeah, Donald and Zeta. She, um, they've gotten the first federal waters uh, fish farming, and they are now doing a collaborative work with this seaweed company from Ireland. And a lot of it is because of the great work that gets done on the Gulf. That's a great story. I love hearing that. Well, and I like your philosophy of mentoring. I, I think that's a, it's, that's one of those unexpected um, characteristics of this whole enterprise to me, 
because my background had been in the Navy where mentoring is well institutionalized. And um, I came to NOAA, the, you know, another federal agency, and that wasn't the case. And so we did. We stood up a mentoring program. There was an existing leader development program that we boosted uh, because I, I knew the value of that. So coming into this private sector space and seeing that that occurs is, is really delightful. And so let me go back to Shannon at University of Southern Mississippi. I, I, I'm unaware, other than the certificate program, if there's any other kind of developmental or, or programs or, some, or maybe something similar to mentoring. Um, I know you care about people and there are people programs at, at the, the university. Um, what, do you, what, do you, what can you tell us there? Yeah, so we have a Gulf Blue Navigator program that is a mentoring type program for technology-based um, startups or ideas that are in more advanced in stage. They're looking to get to that next phase into commercialization. So we um, have spun off the Gulf Blue Navigator program from more than 10 years of experience of running an accelerator type facility up near our um, main campus in Hattiesburg, which is about 70 miles north. And that accelerator program has been running in cooperation with our polymer uh, engineering and polymer research group. So we took what we've learned and experienced from the polymer related accelerator and we're replicating the parts of that that we need in terms of encouraging new tech-based startups to have success getting into that next phase of commercialization. And so with that in mind, uh, in March of last year, 2021, we went into a lease agreement for a historic building in downtown Gulfport, which literally is within seeing distance of the other two facilities I mentioned earlier. And the purpose of that first floor of um, the historic Gulf and Ship Island building is to serve as that landing place for companies so that they can get access to the, the university and our partners. They can get access to our labs. Um, they can actually also um, get access to this CubeNet, which is a location now out in the Gulf of Mexico that is drawing a lot of interest from private sector companies needing to be able to test out in the open water um, the different technologies, sensors, and devices that they are producing. So that CubeNet for us has become a very popular uh, area of attraction for us, and it it simulates a lot of different ocean-related characteristics in, in shallow, medium, and deep water locations. And it's very precision feedback that people get. So um, we, we are new in the blue economy aspects of, of actually operating an accelerator, but we're not new to it in terms of the university's background. So we're expanding that expertise for the blue economy in particular. So we're really excited about that. Yes, Shannon, I saw that, uh, and I've been. In fact, that's how I got connected to you. Um, who's the person that is the media contact uh, down there at the Gulf Blue? Uh, Anita Arguelles is one of the main people. Is it Anita? That was her. Yes. Yeah, she's amazing. She's doing great work for us. So the Gulf Blue brand we also launched last year, and the tagline "Big Ideas Out of the Blue" was our way of marketing to the world. Um, this tech-based innovation strategy for the, the Gulf of Mexico. So we're now using Gulf Blue along with our partners um, to be able to communicate this innovation sector of our economy. Fantastic things you've done there. I'd love to see it. Compared to when I was there last, uh, which was, well, in command in 2017, I think, is when I retired. Um, just so much has taken off and it just Hopefully, I'll get invited to the ribbon cutting of the Roger Wicker Center. We'll see. Yes, we'll invite you to that. We'll also invite you to the Oceans in Action event, which is an annual event. And that's really where our private sector partners come together with federal um, state level leadership to, to hear about what's going on in the Gulf and lots of different briefings. So that's coming up just around the corner, March 7th through the 10th. Good advertisement, Shannon. In fact, I have been several times and I... Uh, I am planning to go tentatively. I'm trying to get a meeting lined up with my, um, my, uh, the person who relieved me two steps removed at Admiral Ron Perrette down at the Commander Navy Meteorology and Oceanography Command. If I can't meet with him, I'm going to have to 
do some kind of go down another time. But a good good event, and actually, thank you for advertising that. Well, I want to go back to Tamara, and there's another thing that you're doing, and uh, and I, I don't know if it has any blue tech workforce development components, but it just sounds really interesting. And it's a nonprofit you are associated with called Spiral Pacific. What can you tell us about that, Tamara? Sure, Tim. Um, well, that's... Firstly, I just have to say what Shannon was talking about is so cool. That cube net in the Gulf of Mexico has me like jumping around in my seat. It sounds really neat. And I've, I've been watching um, the Gulf and how clever they've been and strategic with investing and um, helping students understand that they can be engineers in the blue economy. So I really commend you there. Yes, that's that's nice of you. Hey, well, you know, I, if you ever felt like moving from Austin to Gulfport, I'm sure they have work for you. We would love to have you all. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, the Spiral Pacific group in that vein, they're also helping students and, and young people in general who have an interest in sort of the videography and storytelling aspects. So maybe not so technical minded people, but, you know, artistic and creative storytellers. So the, the effort there is to teach them how to do underwater photography and, um, and videography and it was started by a fantastic woman who you may have met through scripts, Cynthia Maskey, along with Robert Ferguson, who has a lot of experience in TV production. And I think he worked for NBC for a long while. And um, the two of them got together and just tried to find ways to partner with the right people, get, pe- get students on board research vessels when possible to document and and tell that story. So just a kind of more of a passion thing for me. I like editing and, and storytelling. I'm always keen to learn to be a better communicator because I come from a science and technical background. So, Wow. I, Tamara, I love this topic. I never expected it to come up, but let's, let's go there because for a lot of reasons I was when, you know, when I was in charge of the Navy oceanography command and then at NOAA, communicating was my main job and so that that messaging was key and fortunately i had a great team to help me and but i I enjoyed it immensely and and now and i also had a team of videographers um one of them nick zacker and another guy david ruck worked with our national marine sanctuaries and just produced extraordinary content very visual visually appealing like i see with spiral pacific and i i just but I have to say, what kind of cemented my appreciation for the storytelling and the art of production, you know, media production in, in the blue uh, space uh, was just recently. And I and my wife, Karen, a former Navy diver and Scripps graduate like me, very ocean person like me, we went uh, diving with a marine, uh, pardon me, a nonprofit called the Marine Conservation Science Institute that for the last 20 years has been documenting white sharks and their distribution uh, in, in the Eastern Pacific. So just like you've probably seen on TV, we were cage diving off Guadalupe Island for three days, getting photo identification data for the yeah, the population there. And too bad we are an audio format only here <laughs> because these the imagery was just amazing. And on board was a film crew from National Geographic so audience, get ready. In May, at some point, that episode is going to be on Nat Geo. And, um, and I'm probably going to be in some of the shots, even though I wasn't the main PI. Uh, and not, me, not about me, though. These animals are magnificent. And it's, 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 uh, it is features like that, Tamara, that, that bring people in to the blue space. And I think uh, it's just so you cannot even overstate the importance of that kind of work. So good on you. I always like to reference Jacques Cousteau has a quote that he said, people protect what they love. And, you know, if you instill that sort of love and all of you are doing it on the coasts, like if you live on the coast, you appreciate it. And I'm hoping to kind of impact that even inland. You, everybody loves the ocean. You're in, affected by the ocean, whether you realize it or not. So it's important to appreciate that. Amen. Yes. And I agree. And I worked hard at, at doing that with Noah and, um, and still am. And so that's really a main point of this podcast. Um, 
blue economy really is talking about sustainable ocean um, economic advancement. Uh, well, wonderful. You know, um, I, yeah. Tim, can I, can I add, because I often hear you talk about the NASA versus NOAA thing that, you know, people talk a lot about space and there's not as much, there hasn't historically, NASA's just done a really good job of storytelling. And I feel like NOAA's made huge strides there in recent years, just getting, you know, the imagery out and explaining how important ocean is on climate and such. Very good point. You know, you're bringing up one of my favorite uh, press releases. Uh, when I was uh, with the NOAA and I, I was at a meeting and um, I was making that exact comparison about how we know more about the surface of the moon and Mars than we do the own, our own seafloor. And, um, and I made a comment, which I've said often, and that is, you know, I, when I'm on the National Mall and I, go, I used to go running every lunchtime there when my office was nearby, and I'd always, I'd always see kids with NASA shirts. And I, I told people in this meeting, hey, I want to start seeing kids with NOAA shirts, with maybe an ROV and an AUV, you know, attached to the logo. And that made the headline of a, of a, news, a news clip that said, NOAA Deputy Administrator, I want to see a kid with a NOAA shirt. Love it, but uh, very good points. And that, that's they—they they have a machine at NASA for storytelling, and it's just about time that the uh, um, the ocean industry, the ocean agencies, um, match up. And that's happening. So thank you. You know, um, uh, I, I always like to kind of uh, finish this, the episode with um, just sort of some personal anecdotes. And so I want to start with you, Judith Underwood, Blue Institute Labs. Uh, what? Well, how did you get into caring about the ocean and the things you're doing and all that is blue. What's your story? Oh, how much time do we have? <laughs> we have time. First, I, I just want to say we, we do have one program. When you guys were just speaking, we have um, a writing contest every year with the Blue Institute called Words on Water. And it's for poetry, prose, and playwriting. Oh, and I like we that. have um, for adults and then for students. And I hope everybody checks that out. Um, last uh, spring, we did a three-year a video of presentations of, of three years that different actors did. And it was wonderful. So it's a great way to get folks thinking about their connection with water and with the oceans. Um, so my background... Um, it's very mixed. Uh, I, I did not go the corporate route and stay in, in one organization for my career. Instead, I've um, I, I've been in education. I, I taught high school for five years. Um, I've taught at the community college level. I've put together programs at the community college level. Early in my career, I uh, was in Italy for three years at the International Center for Theoretical Physics helping start a program for women scientists from the South. Um, this, is, this is a location that brings scientists from um, the South that had been educated in Northern companies, and it was a way to stop the brain drain. And uh, I've worked on programs uh, like the Women's Conference in Beijing, um, did consulting at UNESCO, and... Uh, was actually my stronger sense was on the energy side of things. But when I started at Cape Cod Community College about a decade ago, the the to and I was brought in to revamp their um, environmental technology program, um, which was focused on solar primarily, and to upgrade that curriculum. And the president pulled me aside and he's like, Judith, I have this committee I'd really like you to sit on for me. And I said, sure. And um, he said, it's the Regional Wastewater Task Force. And that was to look at Cape Cod. We were primarily, we are primarily still septic systems. Um, the universities, Un University of Massachusetts at Dartmouth, Woods Hole Oceanographic, there have been a lot of studies done by these uh, wonderful institutions to show how the um, the embayments were getting polluted with nitrogen, right? And um, within six months, I was sending our Massachusetts uh, Energy Secretary a note saying, you know, I'm an energy nut, but really it's water. 
that's the nut that needs to be cracked. If we lose the water, we've it doesn't matter what kind of energy sources we have, right? So that's the core of it. And then when I came out of the community college, what I had learned there was how siloed different departments were um, and uh, the different university systems, uh, the different departments in the public sector as well, the water superintendents didn't speak with wastewater, superintendents didn't speak with harbor masters, for example. Um, and I wanted to create something. It was originally going to be a semester away with the UMass system where researchers and students could come together and uh, get out of their silos and brainstorm on solutions. Long story short, we came through the eForAll Accelerator and set up a separate institute, which was this Blue Institute. And um, of course, that's a semester away. So uh, that's pretty much my background. I've always lived on the coast or near a large body of water. I lived in, well, I lived in Trieste, Italy, which is on the water, but I lived in Switzerland for a year, but it was right on Lake Geneva. So I just, I've always had to be near water. Well, it's a fascinating story in terms of diversity of experience, and I could spend much time on all of those, but I'll just comment uh, that a friend of mine who worked in uh, the Department of Interior is, uh, no, a department, I'll just say that, uh, was now has a, a podcast called Reflections on Water, and we were just having an exchange how we might, a future episode of the American Blue Economy podcast, we might focus on water and energy. And there's a lot going on in both. And so listeners, stay tuned for that as well. Um, but thank you, Judith. Uh, let me go and ask now, Shannon, uh, you worked for the University of Southern Mississippi for some time. And um, I, I am curious about your journey. I, I believe you're from Mississippi. And what, what got you to the university and what got you to where you are now um, in your position as uh, the senior vice president for coastal operations? Yeah, so Mississippi is home for me, and um, my undergraduate degree is from Mississippi State University in industrial engineering. So I spent my first formative years out of college as a quality engineer working in uh, a couple of different manufacturing environments and, and kept being pulled into workforce development for various reasons, providing different types of technical training to um, other coworkers and, and people that were being hired in. And that got me a little bit of exposure into workforce development. And I had one of my senior engineering managers to mention to me and, and, and give me a really good piece of advice. And he said, you know, it's one thing to be a good problem solver and be analytical. He said, but you got to have good people skills along the way, too. And so he said, you know, I recommend that you work toward having the ability to lead in a team environment and to be able to engage actively with other people. And so eventually I ended up getting a master's degree in workforce training and development because I got into the people business and been there ever since. So 25 plus years now in different types of workforce development. And the whole time I've been involved in workforce development, I kept hearing uh, economic development, economic development, economic development. So when I chose a PhD program, I selected to go into um, what was the international development at the time was um, a, part, a part of that degree program at USM was focused on economic development. So that's kind of how I stumbled along the way, but it's, uh, it's really been fun. It's been interesting and, and helped diversify my skill set and certainly hoping that that's really paying off in the end to help make the change happen that we need to have happen. And, and we've got so much potential on the Gulf Coast that, you know, now is our time to just seize this moment and to take all the momentum that we have underway and make the most of it. And we really believe that we are on the right path and, and we'll keep going. We'll keep trying. Well, I couldn't agree more, Shannon. And uh, for our listeners, let me reinforce this. Dr. Shannon Campbell uh, has this master's degree in workforce training and development from the University of Southern Mississippi, in addition to her PhD. So a, a real leader and authority on the topic. And I'm sure that um, you keep following her and her work with the University of Southern Mississippi, and you will learn about this topic uh, at, at really quite well. Thank you. 
And uh, let me go to Tamara. I, I'm going to kind of stay on this track of your personal experiences. Um, yours and mine have so much in common. I can't help but talk about that and, and introduce you in a way in a way in this area by noting your Scripps degree, as you mentioned, uh, as I have a degree, two degrees from there as well. And you had seven years at sea, and I, and I, I have as many and more. <laughs> But And like you, observations from all of those experiences that have inspired me to continue in this area. And um, I like your quote that you have on your LinkedIn page. You say that perhaps my ocean interests aren't uh, or, or activity isn't 100% altruistic because my natural impulses are to swim, paddleboard, scuba, dive, surf, sail, and hydrate uh, in addition, <laughs> which I like. So tell us about, if you don't mind, yourself and your, how you... What led you to become a, ge a geophysicist and uh, with the seismic industry and go to sea and then from, from there, so on? Mm -hmm. so good to know someone's reading that stuff, Tim. Thank you. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> I Well, actually, I, I got very lucky when I got out of school. I studied geology and I found a geophysics company here in Austin that uh, was doing a sort of research with this electromagnetic um, offshore technology with Dr. Steve Constable from Scripps. So way back then, I was on a ship using this these instruments, and um, they actually used to call me spark plug on the ship, even though I was an electrician. I was just so excited about it. And when I saw that sticker that said Scripps Institution of Oceanography, I was like, yeah, that's where I want to go. So... I'm very fortunate to have had the opportunity. I, I did a master's of advanced studies there in climate, uh, climate science and policy, looking to sort of take my technical knowledge and, and get a little more acquainted with policy and, and commu communication. So um, I think that program is still being developed and it was very new when I was there. So it's it's got a lot of work to to really help people who are scientists become communicators to policymakers, which I know Judith was talking about, that they, they work a lot to inform um, policymakers. And then there's a lot of efforts going on, I know of, in Europe with ocean literacy. And I, I just really love that part. So Scripps was very inspiring to me. Um, you're right there on the water and there's so much cool science and I just want to tell everyone about it in a, in a way that they know it's interesting. And, and students know you can get into this world and have a, a job. You know, that's the beautiful thing about Blue Tech is it's high growth. It's an industry with high growth and well-paying jobs and the ability to affect change. So it should be on people's radar. Absolutely. Well said there, Tamara. A funny thing you mentioned this. Um, so, so I similarly, when I was young growing up in Southern California, had visited La Jolla for an ocean race they have there, an open water race. And I saw Scripps and I was, just had the same exact reaction. I said, that's where I want to go. And uh, thankfully it worked out. But the, it, my, the difference was that um, that was after I went to the Naval Academy to study oceanography. I which I went there because of two things. One was I could study the ocean, which I wanted to do. And the second thing was uh, immediate employment upon graduation on the ocean. And, you know, and, and there wasn't as much of, I think, accessibility. There were very few undergraduate marine science, ocean tech, oceanography programs. And uh, there were fewer, uh, there were fewer, certainly fewer in the day. And, um, and the, and that that route that access that sort of route from education to the workforce th there weren't there weren't so many connections as there are today and so not that I don't not that I want to say it didn't work out for me but for those who maybe aren't so inclined to go into the military to get onto the water there are now all these other means <laughs> and and our three awesome uh, panelists here have uh, described that quite well uh, before I ask for closing thoughts I want to just make one observation. And uh, I picked you all three because you're all doing great work. Uh, it, it just happens to be you're all women in STEM leading um, th these great blue tech, blue economy efforts. And I, I think that is just wonderful. 
because personally, I have three daughters and I want to see them succeed. And you're, you being here is a good sign. They will succeed in whatever they will do. Um, but two, you know, for that reason and others, I was a big champion for women empowerment at NOAA. Uh, and I just I saw the need to get a lot better in government. And we really need to do that as a society. So I think you three are just terrific role models for that. And I hope if anybody remembers anything from this podcast, it is uh, that, that uh, there is a, as strong a place for women in blue tech and the blue economy than as anybody else. So any closing thoughts here? I'll go in um, the order we started. And Shannon Campbell, University of Southern Mississippi, do you have any final thoughts to share with us? I want to say thank you for bringing light to the importance of getting more people in from different backgrounds into these important areas of science and technology. Um, that is, that's one of our key areas that we are focused on constantly of how do we get more women and people from underserved or rural areas into uh, ocean-based economy and the jobs for that. And so thank you so much for bringing light to that. It's absolutely core to what we are trying to do uh, day in and day out and exposing more students in terms of just summer field experiences, summer camps, different student competitions, because if they don't go home every day with family members surrounding them with the types of occupations that they're hearing, the, the terminology and the language of hearing their parents and others around them talk about, then they may not ever get that exposure otherwise. And so um, we appreciate you bringing uh, and shedding light on the importance of us diversifying this workforce because the jobs are definitely there for it. Well, that is so encouraging, Shannon. You're welcome. Dr. Shannon Campbell, Senior Vice President for Coastal Operations at the University of Southern Mississippi. Thank you. Let me go back to Tamara Khan, uh, Principal at Lady Blue Tech Consulting and host of the Wavemakers podcast. Tamara, any final thoughts for us? Well, I have to agree wholeheartedly with Shannon there. I, I found my way here sort of accidentally and didn't grow up with people in the industry. So when I started working on a ship, everyone I knew thought I was crazy, <laughs> um, except for the people on the ship. And they all come from uh, fishing backgrounds or shipping backgrounds or some something maritime related. So it felt strange to me. And I wish I would have known just how many opportunities there were. Um, and I'll just add that the beautiful thing about working in the water and ocean space is that it's really critical to all people, regardless of socioeconomic status, race, gender, or even level of education. So you can have anything from a GED to PhD, and there's an opportunity. That's very encouraging. And thank you so much, Tamara. Uh, well said. And um, and, uh, and I might add that I like the spark plug nickname. <laughs> Thank you very much, Tim. Thanks for having me on. You bet. You bet. And Judith Underwood, CEO of Blue Institute Labs, any last things to say and share? Yeah, I, I want to echo what Shannon Tamara said. Thank you very much. It's, um, it's really exciting that these kind of programs exist. It's, it's normalizing that women and people of color can do all of this work and sh it should be accessible to everyone. And um, I, I think it, it is happening that way, which is really exciting because um, the blue economy is just, it's growing at such a, a rapid pace and there is enormous opportunity. And um, I, I think this young generation that's coming up and from what we have seen with our interaction with middle school and high school students and even kindergarten students, which we interact with as well. You don't see that gender divide, which you might have seen 10 or 20 years in, in different sectors. You don't see that in the blue economy. And, um, and part of it is because of the work, Admiral, that you have done, that Noah has done in recent years. I mean, it's it's really exciting. So thank you very much for this opportunity, and it's been a, a pleasure. You're welcome. That's very kind of you. And, well, interestingly, you all are going to hear our April podcast episode on diversity 
equity, inclusion, and accessibility in the blue economy. So nice introduction there. Thank you all. Uh, it's just this was great. I want to I want to say great job, everyone. And uh, and this was fun. We learned a lot and had a great time doing it in this latest episode of the American Blue Economy podcast. I uh, really thought it was a, a delight to learn about the workforce development opportunities that exist. Um, they are abundant, and and that is encouraging, especially as we I hopefully are finally getting over this pandemic and can start living normally and growing our economy um, and, and really just promoting our prosperity. So please join us. The March episode is going to be where we explore the intersection of national security and the blue economy, some of which we touched on with the Navy presence on the Gulf Coast. This is your host, Admiral Tim Gallaudet, CEO of Ocean STL Consulting. Thank you for joining us, shipmates. I look forward to getting underway with you next time. Mm-hmm.